is music notes and more with your host jason ginty there's death in motley crew rolling stones and their crazy hair judas priest go to court it's eddie vetter's birthday beach boys tragedy a heavy metal legend is born and we lose james brown and joe cocker Let's take a look back in music history for the week of December 22nd. This week back in 1987, Nikki Six from Motley Crue was pronounced dead on arrival in an ambulance when his heart stopped beating for two minutes. Six was given two shots of adrenaline in his chest to revive him. Fellow band members were prematurely informed of his death. It all went down after a night of drug-fueled partying with his pal Slash from Guns N' Roses and Steven Adler and Robin Crosby from Rat. Six was injected with one last syringe of heroin, and he promptly passed out cold. Now, in Six's book, The Heroin Diaries, A Year in the Life of a Shattered Rockstar, a girl named Sally McLaughlin recalls frantically giving six mouth-to-mouth resuscitation while her then-boyfriend Slash destroyed a hotel bathroom around them. The paramedics arrived and gave six adrenaline, although not before he had an out-of-body experience. As he recounts in the book The Dirt, Confessions of the World's Most Notorious Rock Band, Nikki Six says, quote, I tried to sit up to figure out what was going on. I thought it would be hard to lift my body, but to my surprise, I shot upright as if I weighed nothing. Then it felt as if something very gentle was grabbing my head and pulling me upward. Above me, everything was bright white. I looked down and realized I had left my body. Nikki Six, or the filthy tattooed container that had once held him, was lying, covered face to toe with a sheet on a gurney being pushed by medics into an ambulance. But then, miracle of miracles, Six eventually woke up just a few hours later. And he was not thrilled to be in the hospital. And he left the hospital in style. In his own heroin diaries words, he said, quote, There was a cop asking me questions, so I told him to go fuck himself. I ripped out my tubes and staggered in just my leather pants into the parking lot where two teenage girls were sitting crying around a candle. They had heard on the radio that I was dead, and they looked kind of surprised to see me. The teenagers gave Six a jacket, a lecture about quitting drugs, and a ride home in their Mazda. Six then went home and later cooked up another batch of heroin. The song Kickstart My Heart was inspired by Six's death and the adrenaline shots. This week back in 2002, former Clash singer and guitarist Joe Strummer died of a heart attack at age 50. They had the hits, of course, London Calling, Rock the Casbah, Should I Stay or Should I Go, and many, many others. Now, the Clash's London Calling album was voted best album of the 1980s by Rolling Stone magazine. Strummer was also a member of the Mescaleros. Now, according to his former Clash bandmate, Mick Jones, Joe Strummer had intended to reform the Clash and, in fact, had written new music for a possible new album before his death. In the months prior to Strummer's death, Jones and Strummer began working on new music for what he thought would be the next Mescaleros album. 
Jones was curious as to what would become of the songs he and Strummer were working on, and Strummer informed him that they were going to be used for the next Clash album. Had Joe Strummer not passed away in 2002 at age 50, there would have been new Clash music. In 2010, the Abbey Road Crossing in North London, made famous after appearing on a Beatles album cover, was given Grade 2 listed status. The crossing, the first of its kind to be listed, was being recognized for its cultural and historical importance following advice from English heritage. The Beatles were, of course, photographed on Abbey Road in Ian McMillan's iconic cover shot for the 1969 album Abbey Road. Today... Thousands of tourists block traffic to get their photo taken at the iconic spot. This week, in 2014, Joe Cocker died of lung cancer in Colorado at age 70. Of course, Cocker was known for his gritty voice, the way he spasmodically danced around in performance, and his definitive versions of very popular songs uh, like uh, The Beatles, With a Little Help From My Friends, You Are So Beautiful, Up Where We Belong. In the 1960s, Joe Cocker got the start performing as Vance Arnold. Yeah, that's what he went by. The name was a combination of Vince Everett, Elvis Presley's character in the Jailhouse Rock movie, which Cocker misheard as Vance, and country singer Eddie Arnold. So he became Vance Arnold for quite a while until he realized that Joe Cocker was a much better name. He had a career lasting more than 40 years. In 1985, Judas Priest had their hands full due to the fact that a couple of their fans, Raymond Belknap and James Vance, shot themselves after listening to the Judas Priest album, Stained Class. The two boys had drunk a lot of beer, smoked some weed, and then listened to hours of the Judas Priest album. Afterwards, they took a shotgun to a nearby school playground where Belknap shot and killed himself. Vance then blew away his jaw, mouth, and nose, but lived for more than three years before dying of effects of the shooting. Now, the parents of the boys filed a lawsuit alleging that Belknap and Vance were driven to their desperate acts by subliminal messages hidden in Judas Priest's Stained Class album. Roughly five years after the incident, the members of the band found themselves in court defending their music. After a six-week trial, the case was dismissed. This week, back in 1999, George Harrison of the Beatles had his home in Maui broken into by a woman who then cooked a frozen pizza, drank some of George Harrison's beers from the fridge, started some laundry, and phoned her mother in New Jersey. The woman was later arrested and charged with burglary and theft. Happy birthday to Eddie Vedder of Pearl Jam. He was born this week back in 1964. Now, Pearl Jam was formed in 1990 when Stone Gossard, Jeff Ament, and Mike McCready sent out a five-song demo tape in order to find a singer and a drummer. They gave former Red Hot Chili Peppers drummer Jack Irons the demo to see if he would be interested in joining the band and to distribute the demo to anyone he felt might fit the lead vocal position. Well, Irons passed on the invitation to be their drummer, but he did give the demo to his good friend, Eddie Vedder. Eddie listened to the tape shortly before going surfing, where the lyrics came to him. He then recorded the vocals to three of the songs, Alive, Once, 
and footsteps. Vetter then sent the tape with his vocals back to the three Seattle musicians who were very impressed enough to fly Eddie Vedder up to Seattle for an audition. Within a week, Vetter had joined Pearl Jam. They released the classic 10 album. Uh, with the success of 10, Pearl Jam became the key member of the Seattle grunge explosion, along with Alice in Chains, Nirvana, and Soundgarden. They were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2017 and have a new album and tour planned in 2020. Eddie Vedder plays multiple instruments. He plays a harmonica, guitar, mandolin, ukulele, percussion, bass, drums, piano. Eddie Vedder participated in an open tryout for the Chicago Cubs in 1990 as a designated pinch runner. He didn't last past the first round of cuts. He also once played in a band called Indian Style with drummer Brad Wilk, who went on to a successful stint in the band Rage Against the Machine and Audio Slave. Pearl Jam have sold over 90 million albums worldwide. Lemmy Kilmeister of the band Motorhead was born this week in 1945. Now, Lemmy played in several rock groups in the 1960s, including the Rockin' Vickers. He worked as a roadie for Jimi Hendrix before joining the space rock band Hawkwind in 1971. He actually sang lead on their hit Silver Machine. Now, his band Motorhead was one of the foundations of heavy metal music. Lemmy was well known for his alcohol abuse, and he drank a bottle of Jack Daniels every day and had done so since he was 30 years of age. Lemmy also collected German military regalia. He had an iron cross encrusted on his bass guitar, which of course led to accusations of Nazi sympathies. He stated that he collected the memorabilia because he liked the way it looked. Lemmy lived in L.A. from 1990 until his death in 2015. His last residence was a two-room apartment just two blocks away from his favorite hangout, the Rainbow Bar and Grill. Lemmy's final live performance with Motorhead was in Berlin, Germany, on December 11, 2015. On December 28, 2015, four days after his 70th birthday, Lemmy died at his apartment in L.A. from prostate cancer, cardiac arrhythmia, and congestive heart failure. His cancer had only been diagnosed two days prior to his death. In 2016, a statue of Lemmy was placed at the Rainbow Bar and Grill. Dave Grohl of the Foo Fighters said, Lemmy was a living, breathing, drinking, and snorting fucking legend. No one else comes close. This week, back in 1968, Led Zeppelin arrived in the United States for the very first time in preparation for their debut North American tour. Robert Plant was just 20 years old at the time. Now, the group were paid an average of 1500 bucks for each show. Now, Led Zeppelin initially played as the opening acts for bands such as Vanilla Fudge, Iron Butterfly, and Country Joe and the Fish. However... As the tour progressed, it became very apparent that Led Zeppelin was easily outshining the headline acts. Guitarist Jimmy Page said that by the time the group reached San Francisco a few dates into the tour, other groups were not turning up, and Led Zeppelin were then the headliners for the rest of the tour. James Brown, the godfather of soul, died this week back in 2006 at age 73 after being diagnosed with severe pneumonia. 
Brown went to his dentist in Atlanta the previous day who told him something was wrong and sent him to a doctor immediately where he did later die of pneumonia. Now, some of James Brown's greatest hit singles were Papa's Got a Brand New Bag, I Got You, I Feel Good, It's a Man's Man's World. Uh, James Brown was born in 1933. He was a cotton picker, a coal scrounger, and a shoeshine boy. James Brown did not know how to read sheet music. He received numerous awards and accolades in his career. He's been inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, the Songwriters Hall of Fame, the New York Songwriters Hall of Fame, and the Georgia Music Hall of Fame. A three-time Grammy winner, Brown was awarded a Lifetime Achievement Award at the 34th Annual Grammy Awards in 92. James Brown was known for his turbulent and controversial personal life as well. He was arrested several times for theft, assault, illegal use of a handgun, and possession of weed. Brown was married three times. He died Christmas Day in 2006 and was laid to rest in a 24-carat gold coffin. The Rolling Stones' unkempt long hair made headlines in May of 1964 when the headmaster of a British school sent nearly a dozen students home and ordered them to get haircuts. You see, the Stones had some long, shaggy hair, and it pissed a lot of people off back in the day. This happened a month after the president of the UK's National Federation of Hairdressers called the Rolling Stones haircuts the worst and added, one of them looks as if he has a feather duster on his head. The long, shaggy hair drama unfolded most of the summer of 1964, and in December of 64, the Rolling Stones placed an advertisement in the music paper called New Musical Express, wishing all the starving hairdressers and their families a happy Christmas. And this week back in 1983, having made two successful dives below a friend's yacht to find items he'd drunkenly thrown off his own boat three years before, the Beach Boys' Dennis Wilson took one last dive into the Pacific and never returned from the boat moored in Marina del Rey, California. A forensic pathologist believed that Dennis experienced shallow water blackout just before his death. On January 4th, 1984, the United States Coast Guard buried Dennis's body at sea off the California coast. At the time, only veterans of the Coast Guard and Navy were allowed to be buried in U.S. waters without being first cremated. But Dennis's burial was made possible by the intervention of then-President Ronald Reagan. Dennis Wilson was the only genuine surfer in the Beach Boys. Music Notes and More is written, produced, and hacked together by me, Jason Ginty, and is brought to you by Pirates of the Quarter Tours, the most unique walking tour of the French Quarter in New Orleans. Get all the details at piratesofthequarter.com. And be sure to like, subscribe to the podcast, and follow me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and check out my YouTube channel.